0: thank the praise team for leading us well in worship. Uh, They lead us in our singing. Uh, Wonderful songs. Uh, I love that song, Wooden Nails. Uh, Just the reminder of what Christ accomplished for us, but then that hope that what he did through the work of Wooden Nails, through the work of his hands, is what he will bring together when we will come back at one day and feast with him. Uh, I love that song, I love the other ones we've, we've sung, and uh, this morning we're going to be talking about worship, uh, because that's what the second commandment is really about. Uh, and I want to cover a few things today that might be news to you. Uh, some of these things were news to me uh, this week as I was studying uh, and preparing this message. Um, first thing that I was not aware of until the beginning of this week as I was reading through, depending on your faith tradition, uh, and within the Christian tradition, the second commandment might not be, you shall not have any graven images to you. I don't know if you know that. But the second commandment uh, in both Roman Catholic and Lutheran traditions, what we know is the second commandment, this command to you shall have no other gods before me, you shall have no graven images, those are combined into one. And then the tenth commandment, you shall not covet, is d- divided up into two. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's possessions. Now, I, don't, I didn't know that. I hadn't studied that, but that's that is... The traditions, as we understand them, but the Protestant tradition recognizes, along with the original, the Hebrew, the Jew, uh, Jewish tradition, of these being verses four, three and verses four being two separate commandments. So and I want us to see the distinction between the commandment, "You shall have no other gods before me," and the, the commandment that you shall not make for yourself any graven images. And there's an important distinction because the first command tells us that God is the only one worthy of our worship. I talked about that last, last week. He's the only one worthy of our worship. There is no other. Do not even bring another God before my face. But the second tells us that God, even as He is the only one worthy of worship, He also makes clear that he must be worshipped only as he tells us to worship. And that's important. I want to unpack that this morning. So the proposition, if you would, it's up on the screen, the next slide. The second commandment, it isn't just a warning to keep from worshipping false gods. That was the first. But it's also a warning, it's a warning to keep us from worshipping Yahweh falsely we get that? It's not just a warning to keep from worshiping false gods, it's also a warning to keep from worshiping Yahweh falsely. So I want us to read verses 4 through 6, if you will stand with me. We're going to read from, from the Ten Commandments, just verses 4 through 6 this morning, and then we'll pray. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 says this, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, Father, Lord, as we come before you this morning, we must recognize, Lord, we have so often brought other gods and placed them before you in our hearts. Lord, we have so often sought to worship, Lord, other things, and Lord, we have failed to give you the glory, honor, and praise due your name. But Lord, not only that, Lord, we also recognize we have often tried to create you in our own image. Instead of recognizing, Lord, that we were created in your image. Lord, we have sought to change the way we want to understand you, to shape you into something that is pleasing to our own hearts. Lord, failing to understand how broken and sinful our hearts truly are. But Lord, you by Your grace, have made Yourself known. Lord, You have revealed Yourself to Your people, and You have done so, Lord, through the revelation of Your Word, spoken here to Moses and the Israelites and written in stone and then written by the hands of men, inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that we might also know You. Lord, I pray that we would understand, Lord, the reasons you give these commands are not restrictions, but, Lord, these commands are given as grace so that we might know our Creator, our God. Lord, may we understand that this morning. And, Lord, just as we, Lord, read through the catechism question this morning, may we understand, Lord, it is your Holy Spirit, your presence with us that illuminates our hearts, that... Gives our mind understanding and comprehension to see your word as the revelation of yourself to us. And Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see your word so that we might see you. Lord, we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So the second commandment is a warning to keep us from worshipping Yahweh falsely and I think this commandment is there, I know this commandment is there because God recognizes in his creation in mankind this tendency to worship you know why? because we're created to worship that's what Adam and Eve were created to do originally but with the fall came a corruption of our nature a corruption of our desires so that that inherent nature of worship that we're created to do is broken and is twisted. So we seek to make things that will please us. To We seek control. We seek power. So God, when He gives this command to Israel, He's wanting them to clearly understand not only are you to have no other gods, there are no other gods, but you need to worship Me As I reveal myself to you and in no other way, shape, or form. Because if you begin to take the reins of worship, you will begin to worship something or someone other than me. And that is a surefire way to live a life of destruction and to bring the condemnation of God on ourselves. So we've got to see this command again. I want us to see the Ten Commandments as grace from God to understand who He is and a correction to our broken nature. So when we read this, we do read this in the context of the first command, but we want to see this as a separate command and that it's helping flesh out what does proper worship look like. Now God says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, God says you are to make no image. You're not to create any kind of graven or carved image in any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. And what he is saying here is... You are going to want to have this desire to have something concrete, a a likeness, a representation of me before you so that you can worship, so you can focus your attention on it. He said, But I cannot be contained by any image, I cannot be contained by any object. Nothing in creation can explain me. You see, God is unlike anything in creation. He's unlike anything in creation. For He is the Creator. The the word here that we use is a theological word, His transcendence. He transcends all things. And this word means that God is distinct from creation. For He is the one who brought creation, as we know from Genesis 1, out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. So God is transcendent. He is above all things and that he is so far above in the sense he is completely independent from creation. So he's independent from creation so for us to try to make some kind of likeness of him would be an offense to him in any way, shape, or form. For us to create any kind of likeness for Israel to create some type of likeness of God would be to limit him in some way, shape, or form for he is transcendent above all things and God Even as He is independent, as He is transcendent, though, what is He doing right here in the Ten Commandments? He's demonstrating His active involvement in His creation, and He's demonstrating His revelatory love to His creation. God's revealing Himself to His creation. But we need to take note of the way in which he reveals himself. He reveals himself through the word, through the spoken word. He speaks to Moses and even he writes on tablets of stone these very words that we're examining this morning. So God is unlike anything in creation. Let's think through just a a few of these, the first of these is God is not finite God is not finite so he has no end he has no beginning he does not exist within the finite creation that we know we were created at some point in time but God has always existed we are limited By our abilities. We are limited by our natures that we are given. But God is unlimited in his nature, for he is God, the Creator, the one who is Lord over all things. So he says, do not make for yourself a carved image. He says, You are going to have this temptation, just like the pagans that you've lived with for hundreds of years, to say, we know there must be some divine power. Let's, let's assume that the, the power of the river is in uh, the God of the crocodiles and we're going to create a crocodile image and that'll be the representation of that divine power. But as long as we control what it looks like, that means he's only God over these things. So you have a, a God over the river. You have a God over fertility. You've got a God of the, the harvest. You've got a God of thunder of the sky. You've got a God of the sun, a God of the moon, a God of the wind. So all the pagans all around them kept accumulating representations of the powers they felt were divine, yet they did not worship the one true God, for God is not limited by anything. And He says, look, you're going to have this temptation. To try to compartmentalize, to put me in a place, that, in a, an explanation in a way that you can control. Secondly, we see God is not mutable. So this is the immutability of God. That, these might sound like theological terms, but these terms are important. And what it means when we say God is not mutable, that means he does not change. So God does not change. If He has existed before all things, how could we try to make an image of Him to sum up when that thing or whatever it is exists because of God and exists after God already created it? But He does not change, so we can't look at a finite object and say, look, we can see change on anything. We change. The seasons change. Everything within the creation order it changes. But God exists outside of the created order yet reveals himself to his creation. We see God is not subject to our control or our manipulation. You see that was one of the reasons I've already mentioned it that the the pagans have created gods in these images. They wanted to be able to control them. They wanted to be able to control them, even if it was a a futile effort, they wanted to control what what that God could do or how that God was limited to something. God is not subject to our control or our manipulation, but the moment that we try to limit Him or to create an idea of Him apart from His own revelation, we begin to control Him. Like, Two quotes, I I love what Dr. Moeller from Southern Seminary says, he says, the God we control is no God at all. Of course he's not. If we control him, then we're just making ourselves out to be gods. And that, that leads me to this wonderful quote from Tim Keller, I've quoted it before, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. God says don't create any kind of graven image, a carved image, an image of likeness because you'll be putting more into what you want, what you desire into that image than you will the revelation of me and my character. You see, God is not subject to our control or our manipulation. And God does not need us. This is the a, a term aseity. Learning a theological term, but this is God does not need us. He doesn't need us. He existed before us. We are created out of His good pleasure, His glory, as He desires to bring glory to Himself and is justified in doing so, for He is God. He doesn't need us, and yet when the pagans would create idols, they would put them in temples because They needed to protect them from the elements. They would would bring sacrifices to them daily, not because they were sacrifices of atonement, but because their gods needed to be fed. God does not need us. Acts 17, we hear Paul talking to the pagans about all their gods, and he says this about Yahweh says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is unlike anything in creation. So, when God does decide to reveal Himself in His creation, when He decides to reveal Himself to His chosen people, if all these things are true, isn't it very, very important the means by which He makes Himself known? Is it not important for us to think about the means of communication, the means of revelation that God uses to make Himself known to His people? What is that? It is through this. He reveals himself through his spoken word. He gives the Israelites, as these Ten Commandments, words to live by. These are more commonly known as the Ten Words, not the Ten Commandments, after all. You see, he is a God who reveals himself by speaking, not by seeing. God who reveals himself by speaking and not by seeing because his words are the revelation of himself to us how important then is this when we consider the most famous passage on faith from Hebrews 11:1 what does what does the author of Hebrews say there he says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things, Seen, right? No, the the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God reveals himself through the word. He makes himself known through his word. This is important because God is seeking through the Ten Commandments. Remember, this is the Constitution. It's the founding documents for the nation of Israel. If they are to to function as a people who are devoted to the Lord, who are devoted to His service, who are to be used by Him, led by Him, guided by Him, are supposed to glorify Him and point others to Him, is it not going to be so very important that they point to how He revealed Himself? That he is a holy God, a righteous God. The one who is worthy of our worship, for he has created all things. He holds all things together. God says, don't try to create an image. Worship me as I have revealed myself to you. See, God demands our worship. Or as our Creator, He is worthy of our worship. God demands our worship and we are created to worship Him. But God is holy. And we talked about that, that word last week. We talked about what that means. It means to be devoted to God. To, to be set apart. To bring glory to God. So to worship God means that we are going to bring Him glory. We are going to glorify Him in all of His goodness and His righteousness and His faithfulness. But even as God demands our worship, we recognize that His holiness demands justice. He is a just God. Because of that, His righteous wrath will come upon those who reject His commands, reject proper worship of Him. And that's the warning that we see. He says, I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God. If you decide that you're going to worship me in a way that is contrary to how I've revealed myself or that you think you're going to create a new image that in through which you might worship me, He said, I'm a jealous God and I will bring judgment, righteous wrath against those who attempt to worship me. It says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God is just. He will bring his wrath against those who rebel against him. But I love, even as it says, it says, those who hate me, the third or fourth generation, but the the alternative to that, but he shows steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God demands our worship. So I want to, we establish these few truths that Okay, this second commandment, it's about worship. It's about how we are to properly worship the Lord. And it's both simpler than we make it out to be, but we've made it very complicated due to the many ways that we've corrupted or allowed our worship to become corrupted. See, God demands our worship, but we have to ask ourselves, how do we get it right? How do we get it wrong? our worship must be in line with the revelation of himself. And that's the reason that this is so important is because the moment we begin to worship God outside the revelation of himself, when we add something on or we, we hinder it, we start to keep it by creating an image or changing the way in which we say, well, God didn't say this about himself, or I don't, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. He's, very angry, very mean, if we try to limit God by the revelation, oh, you know, people just said that in Scripture years ago, but really God loves people just the way they are. You know, we when we start to take God and start to describe him outside of what he has revealed of himself through his word, we are creating a false God and we're actually creating disaster not only for ourselves, but disaster for all those who adhere. So God gives us command of grace so that we would know right worship so that we might know our Creator. Our worship, therefore, must be in line with His revelation of Himself because if we are to worship God, we need to know who God is. And the only one who can tell us about who God is, is God Himself. So I want to give you a a biblical example of this failure, and then I'm going to walk through a more modern example. The biblical example that I want to present is actually in the book of Exodus, 12 chapters from now, which it's a very strange, when you start looking at the book of Exodus, you realize it's written kind of from, it's written by Moses but from different perspectives so we've got the the law given us but then Exodus 32 is Moses is up on the mountain receiving the law and what do the people of Israel do they say in Exodus 32 this man Moses has been gone for far too long we need a God to worship the God who brought us out of Egypt hey Aaron Make us a God that we can worship. A God that will go before us. Using the exact language from Exodus 13, God's own revelation, that God says, I will go before you and show you the way. They say, we need a visible representation of this God. So what do the Israelites do? Aaron says, okay, everybody give me a gold earring out of your ear because they didn't have coins then. They had their currency hanging off their earlobes. They give that coin, and they shape it into a golden calf. And that golden calf is exactly a violation of the second commandment because Aaron says, the Lord Yahweh brought you out of Israel, but that statement, the people get so excited by this image that's limited by, it's a a symbol of power, a symbol of strength, a symbol of provision. But it doesn't take a day before the people are saying, the gods who brought us out of Egypt. Let's have a feast. And when Moses comes off the mountain, he finds the nation of Israel partying it up, breaking commandment after commandment. And God's judgment is about to fall down upon them. And what happened? What happened in that story? The people of Israel, God was revealing himself through his spoken word, through his designated prophet Moses and the people said you know what we want a God that we can understand we want to take this God and shape it into an image that we'll recognize but it doesn't take long at all before that attempt to understand God through the means of man becomes the worship of a false God brings about the destruction, the the execution of thousands of men. That's what false worship leads to, the righteous wrath of God. So Israel thought it knew better how to worship God, and in turn, they began to worship something else. I got another quote from Albert Moeller who was talking about this. He says, to worship the right God in the wrong way is to testify to the wrong God. Watch a people at worship and you will find out exactly what they believe about God. Watch a people at worship and you will find out exactly what they believe about God. Think about what that says about the modern church. What that says about us. Are we worshiping feelings? Are we worshiping emotion? Are we worshiping our preferences? Are we worshiping tradition? Are we worshiping our holy, righteous God? I said I had a a biblical example. That was from Exodus 32, the golden calf in Israel. But there's another one that's one I've thought through a lot over the years as I've read through the commandments and considered this. And this is one that is actually part of the reason why that separation exists between the Protestant reading of the Ten Commandments and the Catholic and Lutheran reading of the Ten Commandments. One of the reasons that they had to combine the First and Second Commandment is because that language about creating a graven image, they didn't want to have that, they wanted to have the separation from you are not to have graven images of God with you are not to create idols, that idea. But see, we see that they're two separate yet working together, but it says God says you must worship as I reveal myself to you. So one way in which that commandment is violated is through the use of icons, the use of iconography, the use of the worship of God through images and depictions of God and including the worship of God through the images and depictions of Christ who is God in the flesh. So one way in which the second commandment is violated is through the creating of pictures of Christ. Now, well, maybe you hear me say that and you say, Josh, you're crazy. Well, I want to read a few quotes to let you know I'm not the only one that says this. In fact, the first Baptist confession of faith reads as follows. The 1689 says, but the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imagination and devices of men, nor the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. That's what our Baptist forebears had to say. Thomas Watson says this, he says, Nor the likeness of anything means all ideas, portraits, shapes, images of God, whether by effigies or pictures, is hereby forbidden to be made. God is to be adored in the heart, not painted to the eye. To set up an image to represent God is to debase Him. Idolatry is devil worship. And one of my my favorite theologians from this past century, J.I. Packer, he says, we are not to make use of visual or pictorial representations of the triune God, or of any person of the Trinity for the purposes of Christian worship. You say, wait a second. What does this mean? Why do we have so many images all around us? You know, this is actually, was such a issue during the Reformation, and we learned about this when we were over in Scotland, the Scottish reformer, John Knox, the reason that they told us, they said, now we're going to go, we went and saw his grave, which is in a parking lot over in Scotland. And the reason they said, now John Knox is either hated or loved in Scotland, and you need to know why. The reason that he is loved is because of the reform that he brought about. He brought about good reform of, of great preaching and teaching, but he is hated for some of the positions that he took. One of those being that he preached in a sermon about the issue of the second commandment and the Catholic church was so prevalent, the use of icons, the use of images was so prevalent that his followers, not under his guidance or issue, went through all the Catholic churches and they destroyed image after image. and caused a lot of uproar. Now I'm not advocating what John Knox did. What I'm advocating is for us to ask the question, how have we violated the second commandment? You know, we live in a society that is obsessed with images. And is it any surprise that we assume that images are the best way to communicate? We assume that images are the best way to communicate. I was just reading an article yesterday. I was discussing it with some people about uh, some studies from Harvard that say that PowerPoint is absolutely useless for multiple reasons. I won't get into that, but that it doesn't accomplish something as well as the spoken word or the written word. Images don't necessarily reinforce like we think they do. And I want you to think about this for a moment. When I speak about the crucifixion of Christ, I wonder how many people in this room, the first image that comes to your mind is of Jim Caviezel sitting, standing at the cross because of the way that the passion, that movie, it took storm across our whole nature, across the whole nation, across the world because of the depiction that it provided And we think about that and you think, well, it's just a, we're trying to reenact something. We don't think about, well, what did God say about how we are to worship him? How we are to know him. If We didn't have the, an image of a worldly thing that came straight to our mind when we think of Christ, when we think of God. What would happen if instead of that image, what came to our mind were the statements that God makes about himself? The statements that come from his word. We have all these images and depictions of Christ. Yet I also want to ask you this. Why then is it that biblical literacy is at one of its lowest points? And that's for evangelical Christians. Are we becoming dependent upon something that we weren't supposed to use in the first place? Most of all have we simply neglected the study of the revelation of God in his word? One of my favorite books I've quoted this one a bunch of times and I've suggested it given it out to some of our recent high school graduates It's by a man who is not a Christian but is a very good discernment of information and how we partake of it the book is amusing ourselves to death and uh neil postman he talks about this growing obsession with imagery in modern culture and he was writing this 50 years ago or more uh it was talking about how the onslaught of television and the internet was just a thought in people's minds back then the use of images and how they would change the way that we think or change what happens and he had this to say he said, In studying the Bible as a young man, I found intimations of the idea that forms of media favor particular kinds of content and therefore are capable of taking command of a culture. So you see that? The form of media is able to take command of a culture. And he says, I refer specifically to the Decalogue, the second commandment of which prohibits the Israelites from making concrete images of anything. The God of the Jews was to exist in the word and through the word. An unprecedented conception requiring the highest order of abstract thinking. Iconography thus became blasphemy so that a new kind of God could enter a culture. People like ourselves who are in the process of converting their culture from word-centered to image-centered might profit by reflecting on this Mosaic injunction. So let's think. Is our use of imagery actually preventing us from understanding God as he has revealed himself to us? In the words of the great Dr. Ian Malcolm when visiting Jurassic Park, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Have we been so preoccupied with what we could create that we didn't bother to think, should we? Now, come on, guys, that's Jurassic Park. I'm not suggesting we go and break everything. I am asking to consider, is it wise to portray God in any way other than he has portrayed himself? But even more so, we must ask. Is our worship of God based on His Word? And when we allow other means to be means of revelation of God that He did not use and He has forbidden the use of, when we use those things, are we then basing our worship of God? Our understanding of who God is, our understanding of who Christ is, based on man's understanding instead of God's revelation. When we have a picture of Christ who is this long-haired, white-skinned, light-skinned, blue-eyed, European guy who seems soft and kind, do we immediately have this understanding of who Christ is that's based on a creation of man instead of the revelation of God in His Word? And you may say, well, it's good for us to have this depiction of Of Christ, He was a man like us. Well, here's the thing. He wasn't a man like us. He was God in the flesh. He had two natures in one person. He has the divine nature. And even if we could have an accurate depiction of Christ, of His physical appearance, we could not embody who Christ was in a visual representation for He is God in the flesh and man. He is the God-man. talking with one person about this. What if photography had been invented in the first century? What if photography had been invented and we had a picture of Jesus walking the roads of Galilee? What if we had it? What do you think people would do with it? that picture would cover every square inch of churches. It would cover everywhere because people would be looking, but they'd be looking at the wrong thing. They'd be looking at a visual depiction of Christ instead of listening to the revelation of God's Word and looking at what Christ had said. Christ is the Word made flesh. You see, God wants us to understand who He is and how He's revealed Himself. But if God is transcendent, He is above all things, the only way we can truly understand that is through the means which He has given us, His Word. And that is how He has chosen to make Himself known. I quote from John 17 again and again. What does Jesus say to His disciples? What does God in the flesh say to His disciples? He said, if you were to grow, if you were to be sanctified, how will you be sanctified? Through the Word of God. So, is our worship of God based on His Word? Or is it based more so on emotions? Based on emotions, our attachment. See, when we have a physical representation of something, we become attached to it, don't we? we, Is our worship based on emotions, how it'll make us feel? The beauty or the lack thereof of an artistic depiction can manipulate our emotions. But God says, know me through my word. Is our worship based on feelings or excitement about what we can whip up? See, God demands that he be worshiped. demands this even as he instructs us to worship him but it, as i've already said this morning it's not because he's domineering it's not because he's some oppressive god it's because he knows the corrupting nature of our sin and how if we rely upon anything other than his word and his revelation to god our worship we will soon begin worshiping something other than himself God says you cannot worship me by trying to create any likeness. Anything. You cannot worship me other than by knowing what I have done and how I have revealed myself. He's in essence saying look you must know me as I make myself known for you can't trust yourselves. Surely we've figured that one out by now it says instead we are to worship God by not by making him into the likeness of our choosing but by being made into his likeness. This is what Christ came to do. Christ came. To restore us to our created purpose. Because we're created as Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28 tells us. Mankind is created in the image of God. So that we might accurately and faithfully reflect God. That we might be a light to all of creation as His perfect chosen creation. Declaring His glory, declaring His beauty, declaring His goodness. But in our sin, we are unable to do that. And the fix is not to create a God in the likenesses that we choose, but instead for us to be made into His. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If you know your brokenness, if you have Recognized your tendency to create a God in your own image. Know this the solution is to look at how God has revealed Himself and to ask Him through repentance and faith, say, Lord, I need renewed, but I can't do it on my own. To recognize that we can only be renewed, we can only be restored by. His work is the recognition that Christ is Lord. He's the Word made flesh. He's the one who came and lived perfectly so that we might be restored because we could not do it ourselves. To worship God is to recognize God for who He is. How dare we seek to worship Him in any way other than how He has revealed Himself? See, the nation of Israel was to be a nation defined by worship. Defined by the proper worship of their God. We know from the story we've already shared from Exodus 32 and then from the ongoing story, they kept trying to make gods in their own images and their own creations. They allowed the Baals to come in and they said, Well, we can try to syncretize Baal with Yahweh. But what happened was the falsehoods, the lies came in, crept in, and the truth about who God was was ignored. If we allow falsehoods, no matter how small, how trivial, to creep in. If we allow anything other than the revelation of God himself to inform how we understand him, how we understand how we are to relate to him, how we understand how salvation is accomplished, and we've let something come in other than God's revelation, and we are going down a road of false worship. The good news is the grace revealed in this Ten Commandments. The grace revealed in the Word made flesh. God has made Himself known. He's made Himself known. There is Word through His Son, the living Word, so that we might know Him. Will we trust in His Word for salvation? Will we trust in His Word to show us what it means to worship. I hope that you all will trust in his word and his word alone. Let's pray.